As part of the exhibition Sight and Sound, Sonic Art is Ecological Practice at McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. Liquid Architecture was invited to stage a project critically responding to themes of sonic art, acoustic ecology, field recording, deep listening, and spatial sound, all understood in the context of profound environmental crisis and instability. Curator Joel Stern invited A. Hanley, Sen Ya, Dembi Sodol, and Tina Stefanu to collectively realize the project Unheard Relations comprising of experimental audio works and a long-form polyvocal essay and script. A. Hanley's practice is interested in listening as an effective practice, and the possibilities of sound as an expression of human and non-human exchange. This comes through in their piece, Sunkland.xyz, in which field recordings of the Karam Karam Swamp and surrounding areas of the McClellan site uncover the history of the movement of water, this is a podcast from Liquid Architecture. Support Liquid Architecture's podcast and publishing through a Patreon subscription. To support, head to patreon.com slash liquidarchitecture. My name is Amy Hanley. I'm a sound and media artist and sometimes writer, and I'm interested in the intersections between sound and listening, ecology and queer theory. The work that I presented at McClellan for Liquid Architecture is titled Sunkland. The piece is a multi-channel sound work, 24.2 channels to be precise, and the work itself imagines a kind of speculative swampland, and within this swampland, listeners are presented with a a series of scenes and events where multiple species and forms are kind of all transforming through an open-ended vocal exchange with one another. And so the work draws on queer perspectives of non-biological kin and interspecies kin and looks at the poetics of care and exchange through themes of hybridity but also heritage. The work takes its name from two extensive depressions in the landform southeast of Melbourne, near to where the gallery is situated. These depressions are, are known as the central sunklands, which were produced by uplifted uh, fault blocks. To give some further background to the context of this work, the imagined sonic swampland that that is the work, is informed by a pre-colonised Karam Karam swamp and the drainage of wetlands in the area where McClellan Sculpture Park exists, which is on Bonarang country. So when I was thinking about producing this work, Sunkland, it was important to me that I wasn't attempting to recreate a kind of pre-colonised Karam Karam swamp and I was mindful of the of the problematics of romanticising a past ecology as a kind of time before that is, like, pure and pr- pristine. I guess I, I guess I was mindful of this for a few reasons. Firstly, it kind of it positions the environment as something that we're not necessarily a part of and also makes it easy to think that we're now removed from the kind of decisions in terms of the drainage of this area that really vastly changed this environment. And secondly, I guess there's a kind of 
with that kind of romanticization, um, it it can withdraw, I guess, a sense of accountability, I guess, for myself, but also for others. And in doing so, kind of disconnect from the potential ways that these events and looking and listening to these events and considering them, um, that is the kind of governing of water um, is a is a sort of demonstration, um, in my opinion, of the ways that colonisation is ongoing. So I think instead I wanted to present a kind of speculative and imaginary landscape that points towards these events and their sort of materiality but does th- so through providing a space for a listener to connect with the flows of their own imagination and I guess bring their own history and understanding to those spaces and yeah for that reason the work itself it's intended to be a kind of slice of tangled time that carries both remnants of the past but also feelings of fortuity which coalesce in a kind of non-linear discontinuous um, space some sort of present The idea kind of started, well, after reading the description of the site at McClellan, which kind of describes a series of kind of like shallow depressions within the land that sustain a kind of swamp-like vegetation. So I was kind of immediately interested in responding to that idea and I guess the idea of what exists below the surface but I I had no idea uh, what I would learn through making this work particularly around the kind of significance of swamplands within that area on Bunurong country but also beyond and it was my first sort of visit to the site it was summertime and I had just really expected to see more water on site, like to see, I guess I expected to be met with a kind of like bubbling swamp-like area, um, which is not exactly what it's like down there, particularly in the summertime. And I asked um, Simon Laurie, who's the curator down at McClelland, about this. And Simon explained that although the water levels fluctuate, that the levels had been quite low and he went on to mention that Melbourne water may have diverted stormwater at a close-by location and redirected water flow away from the site at McClellan. I was really struck by that and really interested in this cutting off and redirecting of water, particularly from a distance and the power to orient a resource toward or away from a specific place. It was later than when I was staying on site um, at McClelland and I was on a walk with Simon around the site, which is a really large property. I think it's maybe 16 hectares. Um, and we walked to the eastern boundary, which meets with Studio Park, which is a reserve adjacent to McClelland. And Simon showed me the point where stormwater drainage had been installed. So that conversation um, and that day and that walk um, was really probably the catalyst for the initial interest in the, in the governance around watercourses and, and wetlands in that area. Mm-hmm. 
Many of the recordings were made on site at McClelland and also at the Edith Vale Seaford Wetlands, which is the only remnants of the Karam Karam Swamp. And the recordings themselves are kind of... They feature, I guess, the, the main recordings or voices that we hear in the work are a purple swamp hen and invertebrates and a series of uh, underwater recordings that were made in uh, the kind of swamp vegetation at the Edith Vale Seaford wetlands. And there's also human voice, which is my own voice, and a baby breastfeeding and also the sound of, I guess the wind through reeds at a few of those locations, both on-site and at the Edith Vale wetlands. And a maned goose is also one of the kind of um, primary uh, protagonists <laughs> within the work. So, yeah, the recordings were made more or less on those two locations. Um, I guess what we could consider the field recordings that make up the work. But in the approach toward the kind of structure and flow of the work, it was really largely informed by the idea of hybridity. And I guess it sort of comes back to that idea or that talking about uh, sonic practice um, and the speculative aspects and the way that it can allow us to question certain ways. And yeah, I guess for me that's the importance of speculative works which can allow us to be suspended in contradictions and traverse spaces and explore things that kind of feel too big or too small. And I hope that within the installation context there's also the possibility to have kind of um, effective and relational makings um, through those kind of imaginings which, which allow us to sort of think through ideas of multi-species relationships and understandings and perhaps even sort of propagate radical forms of, of care toward one another and, and the environment. I definitely thought a lot about the experience of being within the space at McClellan um, because it's such a structured space. The speakers, the array of speakers um, is very specific and in terms of having a kind of canopy of speakers to work with and then a larger circle of speakers around the audience and a few scattered around and things like that, that the spatiality of the work was really important to me and that influenced a lot of my thinking in terms of the composition of the work. And in terms of the speculative elements, I think it's because it's, you know, impossible to kind of know how other people will interpret these listening experiences and there's so many factors in terms of the listening history of the listener and and many other variables and factors that play into that but I think it's um the speculative aspects are often something for me to work through ideas as I mentioned before things that um may seem impossible or that aren't perhaps visible in the kind of, in, in my current context, but allow me to consider them in other possible ways or possible worlds.
I first became interested in the theme of hybridity. Well, there were a few reasons, but I guess I started thinking about human and non-human animal depictions that feature in mythology. And I couldn't really think of or find any kind of sonic equivalent of that. And I started to wonder what this might kind of sound like. And I think this aspect of kind of taking on other voice and exploring vocal expression is something that I guess as my own experience as a as a queer person has been something that I have explored and given thought to and it seemed to correspond to that in terms of thinking about the different ways that we can kind of have this amalgamation of, of expressions that lead us to sort of I guess, understanding things and within thinking about sort of mythology and folklore um, and looking at these stories that are, you know, found throughout the world and throughout cultures that have a sort of purpose in, in teaching or providing an understanding of survival and well-being but also our relationships to one another and it's often through breaking down these kinds of categories that those lessons are, are presented. And I guess we're reminded of the kind of, of our sort of porousness and our interdependence. And for me, this really speaks to the same way that queer theory or queer ecology seeks to disrupt that kind of presentation of humans and the environment as a series of binary oppositions or dichotomies and instead show things are more of a multiplicity that kind of function in a space of reciprocity and the way that that can be something that is both situated but it can also be something that is unfixed and that is something that I tried to kind of explore in the sense of the vocal exchanges that take place within the work. thinking about that conversation with Simon and how that became um, really catalytic in, in the work um, and where I went from there. It was, yeah, soon after that conversation, after doing a bit of research, that I became aware of the Karam Karam Swamp and the incision into the sand dune in 1876, um, known as the Patterson Cut, which resulted in the subsequent draining of the swampland. And to give further context, the Karam Karam Swamp was formed toward the end of the last major glacial epoch, so the Pleistocene, uh, once sea levels were much lower and winds carried ancient sands across the bay and the landscape, uh, forming the sand belt that runs parallel to the coastline there and that meant that west flowing rivers could no longer make it out to the to the bay so slowly this kind of magnificent swamp grew in that area and it stretched all the way from what we now know as Mordialic to um, down to Frankston so it was a really significant portion of that land there the kind of richness and biodiversity of the swamp included short-finned eels and water bird species 
and brolgas and magpie geese, um, and it supported a lot of migratory bird species, which that area still still does. But my understanding is that the this kind of that this swampland, the Karam Karam swamp, would have been comparable to to something like a kind of mild or temperate kakadu in that it was so ecologically and biologically diverse. So I guess some 60 years after the first invasion of Bonarong country and the attempted colonisation of Sullivan Bay near Sorrento, this swamp was surveyed by the colony and lots were sold there. And it was about 10 years later that the first contract for drainage work was granted. So the application of colonial logic here meant that rather than seeing the kind of value of the swampland, there was still an attempt to graze cattle there, but the land continually flooded. Um, And this really precipitated the decision to then make that cut into the sand dunes to drain water uh, away from the swamp and out to Port Phillip Bay. And so, yeah, while the cut was, I guess, and, and many other decisions that pertain to that kind of um, governance of watercourses was successful in preventing the area from returning to the former conditions of, of the Karam, Karam Swamp. The remnants of the swamp, as I, as I mentioned, there's still one remaining um, at the Edith Seaford wetlands. And as I said, that's where a portion of the recordings from this work were made. I think the thing, and this was something that was kind of, well, I mean, I guess it shouldn't have been surprising, but it was, is that in going to um, and visiting some of these areas that are remnants of the Karam Karam Swamp, I did have the kind of, I guess, naive expectations of perhaps listening to something that would have sounded, um, as I imagined, a pre-colonised Karam Karam Swamp would have But of course, that was not the case. And a lot of species that were once there are no longer there. And so the recordings that I made, uh, I would say, probably don't reflect what that environment um, was like. And that's, yeah, that's that's the outcome of it, it no longer being uh, what it was. I guess I would suggest that sound is material and I I think that sound definitely it's definitely conducive to 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 um, imagining and I guess creating works can allow you to uh, step into that creating sonic works um, that respond to sight can allow you to play with those ideas in terms of I guess what is real and um, what a listener then brings to their listening experience. But, yeah, I think that that is it is really important in thinking about field recording more generally and the ideas that are presented in terms of um, sort of capturing recordings that have some kind of reflection of nature in, in its most purest kind of forms. Um, but I guess that's also an aspect of the type of field recordings that are celebrated and distributed. This 
This recording was produced by Mara Schrettweger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognize that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. Support Liquid Architecture's podcast and publishing through a Patreon subscription. To support, head to patreon.com slash liquidarchitecture.